0: So at seven metres out. Australia needs to try to win the game. Cobain takes the line out. Australia trying to drive ahead. Gregan oh. again. And Larkham. kefu Tie,
1: Hey guys and welcome back to another episode of the Running Rugby Podcast. Well, we've had a week off and a lot has happened, a lot to get through. I mean, we've been lying down in the sun, but we still managed to catch most of the games from the weekend and it's good to see a return for international tests. Uh, This week we'll quickly round out that last sort of super rugby round. We'll have a look at the international games, have a quick look at the under-20s and then look forward to what we expect for the coming week. But, boys... How did you enjoy that weekend of rugby?
0: Yeah, mate, it was it was seriously amazing to see the Wallabies play like that. Um, there were some interesting results all around, but yeah, just seeing that Wallabies game, you know, watching it by the beach, just, you know, I couldn't imagine a better kind of start to the international calendar for the Wallabies.
2: Yeah, lots of really, really exciting games and a and heap to talk about, definitely lots to talk about from players to referees to potential changes in selections, heaps to go through.
1: Yeah, definitely. Match report, round 16. All right, it may seem like a distant memory, but let's quickly run through that round 16 of Super Rugby that um, we didn't get to talk about last week being on hiatus. So the Highlanders beat the Hurricanes at home, 30-14. to The Rebels took home a win in Auckland, defeating the Blues 20-10. to uh, Chiefs go down to the Crusaders, 20-34. to Waratahs versus Reds, big scoring game, highest scoring game in... I think an Australian derby. Uh, Reds forty-one, but still go down to the Waratahs fifty-two, and the Brumbies get a good win over the Sunwolves in Canberra, continuing their form forty-one to thirty-one.
2: Yeah, you'd think uh, the Reds and, and Waratahs players joining the Wallabies would have been feeling like pretty pretty uh, pumped up, scoring that many points even in a losing side. Would be uh, you know you'd probably come in with a bit more confidence as opposed to being. Smashed in a in a twenty five to ten sort of affair, saying a bit more dour. So maybe that little bit of momentum carried through to the Wallabies. Who knows? Yeah, I think the Rebels
0: as well. Like having a win in New Zealand is such a massive thing, particularly with the streak that was going on. You know, we know that be, that's been broken now, but to break it as well overseas in New Zealand, that's a massive effort by the Rebels. I didn't actually get to see that game, but I have to catch up on it. Um, maybe once we finish the Wallabies, but. You know, like, it's it's something to be said. The Blues are still a strong team. I think the Rebels themselves, um, they'll probably give the, the Waratahs a, a pretty good run here for the top of the conference now, I think, because they're pretty even still. I think it's 35 points to the Waratahs and 34 to the Rebels. So once we get back into the Super Rugby, you know, those last few weeks, it's going to be a really interesting thing to watch to see who comes out on top.
1: Yeah, and that really helps their sort of finals hopes. I um, said it before, they have to win two of their last four, and that's one. So only need one out of the last three now to make sure they qualify ahead of the Sharks. But let's talk about the Wallabies, and God, it was good. You have Ireland, you have the Six Nations champion, number two in the world, coming down, um, coming in as favourites into Brisbane, and the Wallabies with only sort of five, six days to prepare coming out and there was a little bit of skepticism whether they'd be able to do it but checker really inspired his men uh as you said toby it was great to watch this we were in a irish pub on a beach in in corfu in greece but we managed to find somewhere that was gonna show it um and australia came out 18 to 9 two tries to nil and what was the biggest positives you guys saw in this
0: I think just straight off the bat being able to perform at that level. It's been a number of years since the Wallabies have been, been able to kind of come out straight away and not look rusty and not kind of make those silly errors and just, you know, bad decisions or just lack discipline, things like that. This was a much more complete performance, both, I think, defensively as well as offensively. And to be honest, I think we do have still some more points in us. Um but yeah, I just wasn't super confident going into this game with such a limited um, preparation time that we'd be able to come out firing like we did. So it was just, yeah, it was really impressive to see that.
2: And we were really happy with the, the selections. Like, we, we didn't get to go through it uh, with, with everyone in detail, but that, that team that came out as the starting lineup and even the bench, we were really happy with. There's very few players, if any, I don't think I can name one, that we were um, sort of unhappy to see picked where they were. Starting lineup was really solid, and like you said, Toby, they came straight out and started playing properly. Very, very few signs of of sort of rustiness and and lack of combination with with the guys, which is a testament to some, uh, I suppose, security in those positions over time. Like we didn't we didn't have a Jack Maddox thrown in uh, ahead of uh, you know starting starting a series to to blood him or anyone. We'd, we had a few debutants, but they were they were sort of necessary because we we didn't really have the experienced hooker. Um the, the back row was a little bit up for grabs. Uh, and and even the bench were really solid. Then they played like a like a group of fifteen, which is really good. And the only a real negative that I remember from probably more from the first half was just a lot of um, box kicking from Genier and, and and throwing possession away. And if you're a regular listener, you'll know that I harp on about patience and not giving away possession unnecessarily. Uh, so that's that's something that stuck out to me is maybe a, a change of tactic for next week because I don't think it was particularly effective.
1: Yeah we really saw a tactic came out and there was a lot of kicking, a lot of box kicking, a lot of crossfield field kicking um, to Folau which I mean a few of them came off but there were quite a few that weren't sort of hitting their mark and uh, whether, whether that was right that they continued to persist in that we thought they might change after half time but they sort of continued with that sort of
0: um tactic yeah i think i think definitely Ireland may not have been expecting that i think in the past we've been guilty of just holding onto the ball um you know not using tactical kicking much at all and playing quite a one-dimensional game i think the fact that we kicked it this much might have thrown them off a little bit and then we we're able to maybe hold the ball a little bit later in the game and capitalize on that possession once we kind of set the platform so I'm I'm interested to see whether they'll continue with that tactic maybe early on and then switch again into maybe, you know, holding on to the pill. I, I seem to think maybe they'll completely change it up again. Um, Checker's kind of... We've always talked about the fact that Checker maybe isn't flexible enough in his game plan and gets stuck kind of trying to do the one thing regardless of what your opponent's doing. But I think he's learned from his some of his mistakes in the past and he knows with this island team they've got such a good... You know set of coaches around them like Joe Schmidt is like one of the most you know attention to detail guys in the game so he knew that he was going to have to really up up his game tactically to compete with that and I think just yeah it showed that the Wallabies although it wasn't a perfect performance by any means it was you know one of the best starts I've seen in years
1: yeah well I think probably the biggest thing that stood out to me for the Wallabies was just their strength in defence and it's something that we haven't really been able to talk about in a Wallabies team for the last couple of years um, their defensive sort of coming up as a line massive hits being made especially on Carberry, on Connor Murray you saw sort of Hooper come through smash him, Corabidi come through, smash him um, and even Beale sort of coming through and just picking those times to really just make their mark and absolutely knock people down um, sit them back down and Really, sort of stagger them a little bit. And the other thing that I thought was quite good, we talked a little bit about Ireland being the most, uh, the least penalised team in world rugby, while the Wallabies being the most penalised team. And at, you, at the end of the day, you look at the penalty count, and it was 11 penalties each. So we saw a bit of an increase in discipline as well, whilst maintaining that sort of defensive sort of attack and defensive sort of speed.
2: Yeah, that was. Really, really good from the Wallabies. They didn't have, uh, didn't have a whole lot of throwaway penalties. It's good having Rob Simmons on the bench, I guess. Uh, fewer minutes to infringe, and and the ball- that balance suggests could suggest a couple of things. So the Wallabies are very disciplined. They, I, I think you can read a bit, little bit more into that and say maybe they they stuck to their game plan. They they'd obviously done really good homework on the Irish to be able to take down those sort of set piece plays that were sort of half developed and and putting Carberry on his, on his back. Um, and that would have put a lot of hesitation into, into him next time he was playing a similar wrapping role, which keeps them fairly narrow in, on the field, doesn't let them press wide if we're closing that down. Um, and then the, for the Irish to increase their penalties, um, it could just be the referee and could just be the momentum of the game and, and penalties tend to flow against a side that's not, uh, not playing so well and is uh, in the chase because they start looking a bit desperate and the ref uh, maybe sees more than there is. But if, if we're getting Ireland uh, in a position where they, they find they have to push the boundaries and, and the referee's pulling them up for it, then that can be very frustrating. And it's another it's another reason to hold the ball and to keep um, sort of keep that, that heavy pressure on them and, and just watch them deteriorate while you do all the things that you do well and, and don't change your plan too much.
0: Yeah, and it was interesting. I think possession and territory in this game, the Wallabies lacked in both departments. Mm. Ireland had 60% possession and 60% of the territory. So that's, you know, again, another encouraging factor there that we still, still scored two tries. They scored zero. They had majority of possession and territory. So we can build upon that. If it becomes a bit more 50-50, I think you'll see us score more points because I think we'll just have more opportunities
2: there. And that does also suggest that our tactical territory kicking game maybe wasn't so effective. And that's what my feel out of that game was, that we didn't actually, when we kicked back into their half, we didn't then contain them in their half. They often came back at least a halfway, and very quickly were, were pressing back into our half. So uh, for me, another reason not to stick with that box kicking, that that I felt a little bit uh, forced and I don't know if, like you're saying, Toby, it was sort of a tactic to do something and then change it up or, or if that's what they really wanted to do and it just didn't come off. But I'd like to see the ball stay in hand a little bit more. Um, I think the forwards are doing a really good job rolling it up and just crossing the advantage line and making ground. So give them a chance. They, they really started hustling in that second half. And, and then when the ball went wide, it was really solid attack and we got tries.
0: Yeah, Leah, you're right. I think they should kick a little less. And I think they just need to be more effective with their kicks. Um, I mean, Genia is not a terrible box kicker, but
2: they you know, had no he chasing. does,
0: yeah, as well. It comes down to chasing. It comes down to the right time to kick the ball. Yeah, but you know, look, let's talk a bit more about the players. Arch, who did who stood out for you? Like, I mean, there there wasn't really a bad performer in the whole team, but I think there were certain guys that yeah really stood up in this one.
1: Yeah, I mean, obviously David Pocock continues to show that he's back to his very best. He was an absolute. Um, mongrel and sort of hassling the Irish in every single ruck. Even some of the times he got penalised I don't think the ref really saw it correctly because you look back on the replay and he looks like he's very much there before everyone else on his feet. Probably the ref just couldn't believe that he was that quick and he was that strong. Um, But definitely stood up and really showed. I think he had sort of uh, six sort of turnovers from the ruck just due to him. Um, As well as that, the Wingers as well, I really think, stood up. Corobides um, continues to just show his sort of power, um, running his power in defence, and DHP was just very solid and a very good sort of support player in this. And you saw it sort of come to fruition when both of them sort of raced back uh, to catch sort of CJ Stander, um, the Irish number eight, as he made that break and managed to wrap him up, and DHP got himself um, around the ball to hold him up and. Stop them getting that sort of try Which I think that's really good to see From from our wingers um, Which is obviously We've always harp on about wingers Being bad in defence or soft in defence It's great to see two that really Aren't going to let us down in that
2: Yeah and held up a number 8 And and again kept Ireland tryless. which I mean I'm sure That'll sting back when they're Reviewing the game that they couldn't get across the line And again we've Mentioned it already the Waldies defence really great effort. The I reckon the right arch on Pocock, I reckon he was definitely better than the ref allowed him to be. Um, I, I thought the interplay between the backs was really good. We, we did talk about who we'd prefer at that outside center position, and I don't think Karevi had um, a shining light kind of game, but I don't feel like he, he did anything to really let us down. There's only a couple of times when he was caught a little bit narrow, but I think rather than, say, bad defense, I'd have to credit the Irish for running a good backline play that really stretched us out and, and created the space. Uh, so I wouldn't hold that against Karevi. Uh, the four was really solid. The scrum was really solid when we got our, even when we got our reserves on. The whole time, the scrum was really powerful. Panga Mosa I thought, was pretty solid. Um, and maybe as a result of all that box kicking, we didn't see a lot out of debutante Caleb Timu. I feel like you know a couple of a couple fewer box kicks, a couple more passes uh, to give him a bit of a run and let him open up um, is what I'd like to see. So he was a bit quiet, but uh, certainly not a poor a poor game out of him. Yeah, you're right, Lee. I think Timu had limited
0: opportunities, but I'd like to see the Wallabies persist with him for another week because you know they, when we have a good win like this, it's it's kind of not really necessary to make changes. Um, people have talked about someone like Pete Samu being kind of, you know, he could start, but I think then you're probably losing a little bit in terms of, you know, physical um, abrasiveness and and also that, that really, you know, strong ball carrier. So I think Timu's yet to show his best. Hopefully he gets his hands on the ball a bit more this week. Um, Rodder and Coleman, impressive and quite solid. I think our line-out could probably be a little bit better, and that's probably just about building some some better combinations um, with Pangamosa. You know, You've got Coleman running in line-out with a hooker that hasn't played in the Wallabies before, so I think they'll just continue to get stronger. Um, but, yeah, I think, like we said before, I think this team probably unexpectedly really, really turned up last week, and we really want to see them build on this performance. Um, for me, I wouldn't be making any changes. Um, there are kind of rumblings of someone like Ned Hannigan coming back in somewhere, and also to have Alan Alatora actually take his spot on the bench like he was meant to um, in place of Robertson. So those are two changes that have been speculated. Um, I can't really see how Hannigan should fit into this 23 at the moment. I think Samu should be persevered with. He came on straight away, made a great pilfer.
1: Yeah, um, immediate impact. And really
0: showed his class. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, So I don't know, Arch, what do you think? Should they be shuffling around the bench a bit, or are you happy with it? Yeah, I can't see us really changing
1: too much of the bench. I mean, we've talked about some who really had an impact. You didn't see too much from a few of the other players. I think we mentioned it before, the scrum coming on, Taniella and Robinson and Latu coming on, and really they were facing up against what we would probably expect being the number one Irish sort of front row, um, which we'll get to in a sec, because they rested a lot of their sort of lends players in terms of Taj Furlong and things. But you saw Taniella come on, scrum up against him, and immediately absolutely dominate him in that first one. And it was lovely to see that as a bit of a statement made. And I think it's almost a bit difficult then to um, take out Robinson as well because he looked strong in that. It's an area that I've sort of been a bit worried about him sometimes coming up against those really strong scrums in the world. But he stood up.
0: Yeah, I I don't know what the thinking is. Maybe it's because Alaalatoa has got a bit more of a physical presence around the field and and probably a bit better carrying the ball. But Robertson didn't let us down at all. And you've got Alaalatoa who plays tight head for the Brumbies. He doesn't play loose head, so that's again a bit of a risk to bring in someone that's not a specialist loose head on the bench. So yeah, interesting to see what Checker does there. Um, like you said, Arch, I think yeah we'll talk a bit about Ireland now. Like they maybe made some mistakes kind of resting these guys. And I think Carbery wasn't bad, but I think having Sexton there from the start would have been the right move. Um, and it sounded like it wasn't due to like particularly fatigue or anything. And it, I think he actually wanted to see what Carbery could do. Um, and I don't think he let, you know, the team down too much. He was, he got hit a few times and that probably put him off a little bit in terms of running the ball and taking it to the line. But mm. um I think definitely we're going to see some changes for Ireland this week.
1: Yes, though so in case people didn't realise, um, there were a few players rested from that sort of number one Irish team that we saw in the Six Nations. It was because they had a, the Leinster guys that have just come off a couple of club wins and they've been playing a lot of football, so they haven't been around the Irish camp quite as long. And so they decided to rest. And really the main people, as you said, Sexton at 10, you didn't see people like... Um, Ring rows in at around 13 in the centres. You didn't see Taj Furlong um, up there in the front row as well. So a few sort of quite key positions there. Toby, you're right, there have been talks of speculation that they want to move towards a bit more of a running, attacking game, which is more Carberry's sort of um, area of expertise into next year's World Cup rather than the kicking sort of of Sexton. But I do suspect you'll see Sexton be wearing that number 10 come this weekend.
0: Yeah, I can't see them going away from a formula that's been working for a long time now. um, I know the World Cup is just around the corner and they want to maybe build into more of a running game, um, but I think it's the wrong time to be doing it. I'd I'd be bringing Sexton back in. I'd be bringing Ringrose back into 13. Um, I'd be starting Kean Healy. I'd be starting Ty Furlong. Um, I think you'll see those changes made. Maybe a couple of other ones. I'm not too sure, but... um, I think you're going to see a, a much stronger Ireland team. So the Wallabies, again, are going to have to build upon their performance and be a lot stronger.
2: I don't think you'd see too many more changes than that. Just You don't want to disrupt what was a fairly competitive team. If, if you mm. can just bolster that starting lineup with a few more senior heads, and yeah, the, the change at fly half may give you a slightly <laughs> different dynamic in, in the whole attacking and defending group. But generally, I, I don't think Ireland were bad in any way so uh, there's nothing that really stood out for me that that let them down any single thing Um, I think the Wallabies just really sort of shook them up and and kept them out of the game and all those defensive efforts that stopped them getting their breakout we didn't let them come back into the game after we scored which is saying that some of the Australian super teams have a habit of doing uh, sort of taking their foot off the gas and, and allowing the opposition to score straight straight away so you wouldn't want to disrupt that. And just for me, for the Wallabies, I, I, I don't think there's any need to change. It's just whether they whether they had someone like Lucan Tui in the in the uh, bench group to sort of keep keep some physicality toward the end, they may decide that they don't actually need uh, physicality over something like either line-out or scrum um, sort of skill set, which I don't know if Hannigan brings a better line-out skill set than Tui. Um, or you know more more mobility around the field more dif- different style of ball carrying that's that might be the sort of the way they swing a, a Hannigan addition um, but again I I can't see too many changes happening there you've got a successful team keep the group together and make the guys who aren't in it um, train even harder to to try and win their spot
1: yeah definitely and like you said Leo we saw a Wallabies team that played for the full 80 minutes and at the end of it, they weren't looking out on their feet. They looked like they were still ready to keep moving. And it was a, another thing that they've been looking to address in the last sort of 12 months is fitness in these Australian players. And looks like they're making some headroads in with that.
0: Yeah, there was really strong coordination with that, with the Super Rugby franchises themselves. Checker really got into them because last year all these players came in and they weren't in shape. So I think it's really paying dividends already, um, you know, Guys didn't look particularly tired in that game, even though it was a super physical game and we defended a lot. They were just continuing to front up, so it was really good to see. One last thing I just want to mention, I think maybe even Sean O'Brien could come back into the number seven spot. So, mm. again, I know that you know it might be a bit much to kind of be bringing in six, seven guys or whatever it is. Um, but, yeah, I, I just think they need to go back to that, that lineup that was winning them the Six Nations and giving them that grand slam. So... I'm, I'm really curious to see how far he takes it in terms of these changes, Joe Schmidt. Yeah, and
1: I mean, before we uh, move on, uh, what do you guys think of the the final decision from the TMO um, finding a mystery camera? Uh, the All looks from what we could see that the Ireland had scored, and then he's like, no, no, no. On, on the camera I have that I can't show you, there's definitely a knock-on from Ireland. Not yeah. ideal
2: when you're trying to be as transparent as possible. <laughs> um, I haven't, I haven't seen anything after, um, after the game to suggest why that was the case. Um, but it wouldn't be the first time the referees did something a bit <laughs> difficult to understand or interpret. And yeah, if, if they're going to keep giving the TMO enough power to overrule what's on the field, they and they want to show the public what's going on, then they need to fix that up.
0: Well, definitely reminded me of something that would happen in New Zealand. Um, just that kind of odd thing that you're like, what? How did how did that happen? And I think we'll talk about that in a little bit because there were some really you know weird decisions in the New Zealand-France game as well.
1: Yeah, well, let's jump around a few of these other games and we'll start with the All Blacks versus France. And the score, I don't think, quite reflects the game. Uh, we had sort of 50, 55 minutes of very close rugby. Um, and France, I think, actually was leading into the break, but... Final score New Zealand 52 to France 11.
2: And that's there was so, there was parts of this game where you thought, oh, the French are gonna the French might actually turn them here, it could could happen. And then when, um, uh, was it Paul Gab- Gabrielis? He when he gets a yellow mm-hmm. card in the 51st minute for an absolute nothing high tackle, like if it's if it's high, it's a penalty at best. And then to have, to be down a man, and then the All Blacks basically double team a guy with a double high tackle, swinging arm to the head, followed by a shoulder to the head on a guy that wasn't really even falling. And, I mean, they, they knocked each other out, basically. Sam Kane and, and one of the uh, front row yeah. forwards, kind of Moody T'wana or something.
1: Farsi. Farsi, oh, Farsi, yeah. yeah. Fracturing and, the guy's face and, as well, by the way.
2: So, yeah, turns out they fractured the guy's face, and this first time a ref didn't pick it up. And... I'm willing to give a little on a guy who's, who's fresh and, you know, you, the rest doesn't see everything, but that's why you have a TMO and that's why they have the whole check-check system in Super Rugby. Like, there's room for that guy to intervene and say, no, 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 there's something to look at here. And the All Blacks weren't, weren't out in front by a margin at that point. So, two potentially two yellow cards, or at least one, definitely evens things up because they scored two tries while the French suffered their yellow cards. so... That's disappointing because it was it kind of had a lot of influence on what was a really tight competitive game, and um, you know the French really't couldn't, couldn't fire up and, and regain control after that.
0: Yeah and it's weird to see because often when you do find there's a yellow card for one team because you know they kind of, they're kind of cracking down on one area. and then you know very soon later the other team does something similar, the referee is more than happy to go for his pocket, go to his pocket straight away. In this context, there could have been two guys with yellow cards for the All Blacks. And, you know, not even Sam Kane got one. He collected him right in the jaw.
1: Mm.
0: Um, I feel a bit, you know, for two a, a Farsi, the guy got flung around into him and he was going in for a, a pretty legitimate tackle. I know he, he ran into his shoulder. But at the same time, um, I think really the person who should have been p- punished was Sam Kane and You know, for a guy that's on his debut as a referee at Eden Park, I know it's an intense atmosphere, but these guys are meant to be world class and they they can't be making mistakes like that. Like, it just completely changes the game. And now France have to try and recover from a 52 to 11 defeat. Like, that's going to be hard to come back from.
2: And not to harp on it too hard, but I think Sam Kane stayed on the field, even though he'd headbutted Tuanga Farsi. and he stayed on the field until they scored their next try, and then he got subbed for HIA. So even there, they like you've got a clear head clash. The guys were down on the ground for a minute or so at least, and the process that we understand from Super Rugby and or any other rugby wasn't applied straight away. Uh, I don't know where the where the sort of wiggle room in that process is, but. I I would have thought that straight away they'd want to be yanking at least one or both of those guys for an HIA, which also disrupts the all blacks, and that's 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 just a protecting the players thing. Like they shouldn't allow someone to stay on if they think there's a legitimate uh potential a for concussion. a concussion. Yeah. Yeah.
1: No, I mean we were sitting there watching this, um, and obviously after watching most of the season Super Rugby, we were like, Oh, that's yeah, that's at least a yellow. No, maybe two yellows. And then we're thinking, well, if we, this is going on super rugby style, that's probably a red card and a yellow card. Um, and then not to see anything, we're a bit sort of dumbfounded by that. But Very dumbfounded. Yeah. But do you think, is there any chances of any changes in this
0: All Blacks team? Um, that's a good question asked. I don't think they'd be making many. Um, maybe Brodie Retallick coming back in for Scott Barrett. Mm. Um, that would be I one Geordie I would Barrett. think about. Yeah, that's why I, what Geordie I take Barrett, Geordie say. Barrett out.
2: Yeah, I think Geordie Barrett might might need to sit. What what we're not thinking like moving Scudder so. or moving Ben Smith back to fullback, bringing one of the other wingers. You got all sorts of wingers at their disposal. I don't think Jordy. Something,
0: something tells me. Something tells me they're going to persist with Geordie Barrett. Like I think they're building towards the future as well, and they really like that combination with um, Bowden, um, and it really offers you a, a someone who's. You know, quite a high level playmaker as well, in addition to Bowden Barrett. Whereas Ben Smith, I know he can, you know, he can take him from the back and he can create, but Geordie Barrett is much more like natural. um, He could even play first five. Like he's he's that kind of natural player that he can inject himself. Um, I think he still does need some time to find his feet. You know, like he's come onto the scene very quickly, and I feel like they just see raw talent and he makes certain areas and they're just willing to persist with it because I think. They know in three years' time he's just going to be a freak. So I don't know. I, I would be surprised if they make any changes to the back line particularly, but, you know, you could be right. They've got so much talent there, it'd be easy to, to slot some other guys in.
2: What, what I reckon could happen, and you might be right, they might just be persevering with a guy who's young and clearly got heaps of potential. Let's just give him every opportunity in a series where we would think that we've got pretty much the wood on this opposition team. It's like very low-risk uh, of something going badly wrong and i but i kind of think if, if if he has another slightly tepid game and then the third and they win anyway then the third game is really you know it's, it could go either way it could be i'll just leave him in there give him more experience that win loss doesn't really well they wouldn't want to lose but um like it, it's not a critical game they haven't lost a series but you know they've got people even like mckenzie you could put at the fullback and I don't particularly like McKenzie as a passer distributor. I've talked about that with with his work with the Chiefs, but again, he opened that game up late um, in a couple of different uh, wings wing breakouts. So um, maybe maybe he's someone you can have in at fullback as well. And that third game may show what if they weren't trying to develop Geordie Barrett, what would be their starting lineup just based on pure form and and who deserves a run.
1: Yeah, the only other person I was going to say um, I haven't been too impressed with someone like Linnet Brown in that thirteen role. I think he must do um, a lot of small stuff quite well, um, but when you have someone like Lau Mapi coming off the bench, um, it's pretty it's pretty amazing what he can do, who we can run through. Um, so I'd almost be looking for a little bit of more sort of ball carrying sort of prowess through that midfield because um, it'd be I think I'd quite like to see Crotty and Lau partnered in that midfield maybe.
0: Yeah, it's whether you put Lamar up here at 12 and move Crotty out to 13, which we know he can play, or even you could make a, a different kind of selection and bring in Jack Goodhue from the Crusaders at 13 because they've got pretty big wraps on him as well as a future outside centre. Um, they seem to go back to Leonard Brown when they need to because he's been in the system for a little while. Um, and he hasn't, you know, he's had a consistent year, but he hasn't been particularly a standout player um, but I think they just trust him in, in, in him enough in a very important defensive position to to get the job done. But you know they've got a wealth of talent, the All Blacks, and um, I'm I'm pretty happy with how the Wallabies are looking at the moment in terms of fronting up for the Rugby Championship. But mm. this All Blacks team seems to know when to bring in guys and blood guys at the right time in combination with experienced guys, so they always kind of have that consistent team moving from year to year where they they never are caught you know, quite, you know, with a team that's too inexperienced. So, you know, it's 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 really good to see an All Blacks team still firing because I want us to be tested against the best. Um, I feel a bit bad for the French here, but, you know, I think it's going to be a 3-0 sweep for them. I, I can't really see them bouncing back too much. I reckon the, the, the All Blacks will probably take this next one by like 20 points or something.
1: All right, let's um, move on to a couple of our other sort of rugby um, championship teams. In South Africa beating England 42-39, uh, to 39, the highest scoring game uh, this weekend. Um, but they were in trouble early. They were down 21 points to England in the first sort of 20 minutes. And then everyone was looking a bit worried. I was looking and thinking England are just going to run all over these guys. But I don't know whether it was... Being an altitude in um, Johannesburg, or just taking a little bit of time for this South African team to click, but they they came back strong and managed a pretty good win to hand England sort of their their fifth successive loss. Now
0: it's crazy, isn't it? I mean, Eddie Jones was on such a high before you know this year's Six Nations; nothing could go wrong for him. And then ever since they went on that slide in the Six Nations, they've just been it's been capitulating a lot of these games and losing to the Barbarians, now losing to South Africa. And we know South Africa is a talented team, but they're also a team that's in transition. Um, But I think because of these losses, there's been a lot of pressure from the media, a lot of pressure from back home that you've got to make this team right in England and you've got to make some changes. And so I think you've seen some new guys come in and maybe they've particularly performed that well. Um, But for me, the back line for England still isn't right and I wouldn't be persisting with Ford, I'd be putting Farrell into 10 and I'd be bringing someone new into 12 Um, they've got really some talented outside backs but until they sort this midfield out um, they're not going to actually have enough I think potency both in attack and defence Like they can score points, I admit that but I just don't see that they're really gelling in
2: the way that they should so do you reckon the, that early run that England put on South Africa was rustiness out of the South Africans and then between a few senior guys uh, that uh, that pulled the South African team in the line, then they found some some form and, and some combination to, to come back and, and then England were just unable to to hold them out? Is that is that what you're thinking? Because otherwise you could argue that England put on three tries on a reasonable team... Why would you change anything? They just need to keep the foot on the gas.
0: I don't think South is a particularly good team. I think they're they're okay, um, but they've they've got a long way to go in terms of their development. Willie Larue and, and Fafta Klerk really pulled them out of trouble in this yeah. one. Um, yeah, two of their mo- more experienced players coming in from the UK. Um, so they've they've actually played with a lot of these English guys. So maybe they understand the way they play. They've you know a few better insights into some techniques to kind of take advantages of take advantage of their weaknesses. So, you know, those two guys really stood up for the box. Um, but England should have won this game. Like, I don't think there's an excuse there. The only thing I can think of is probably the altitude factor playing in towards the second half, and they just got a bit tired and then they couldn't hold on to that lead. So, I mean, it's still only a three-point loss. Yeah, exactly. It's but, close. you know, yeah, exactly. So I think, look... So Africa, figure we, we've seen in Super Rugby they're they're kind of bringing through some new players. They're playing around with their lineup a little bit. They've got a new captain in Khaleesi leading them around. Um, there's still a lot of people in that team that haven't cemented their spot. So there's pressure on those guys to perform. But they managed to, as a team, really come together towards the end of that game and, and showed some good poise under pressure. There's also
1: the South African sort of using this quota system and they are ramping that up a little bit um, in terms of some of their player selections, which I think does hurt them in a few aspects, just from the main name that I sort of was thinking watching this backline run around was someone like Jesse Creel, who's been on fire for the Bulls and looking really damaging, um, being left out of this team as a outside back, either 13 or on the wing, and I think they could definitely sort of use him sort of coming in, but um, what the sort of basis around those selections is, I'm, I'm not too sure. But, I mean, credit credit to the team. They pulled themselves together. They they came back from a big deficit, um, which a lot of teams probably would have been at risk of just crumbling underneath.
0: Yeah, I think if we... Like, if we tried to pick this lineup a week before the first game, I reckon I probably would have got maybe half the team. I don't even know if I would have got that many players. Like... For us, I think it's a lot more clear-cut with the Wallabies and the All Blacks who's going to be starting. You know, we could probably pick about 80% of the, the lineup pretty accurately leading into this first game. With South Africa, it always seems like a bit of a mixed bag um, and guys just kind of come out of nowhere and get selected and then make a name for themselves. So I think they're really in that kind of critical phase at the moment where they need to develop these guys before the World Cup.
2: The one thing I'd take away, maybe from the South African game, in terms of the rugby championship, might be that even though they've got a mixed bag, they're they're sort of a, a team in transition, as you say, which is absolutely true. Um, they still have the the senior backbone there. They have the the mentality and, and the will in their team to keep fighting for eighty minutes. Mm. And that's saying that the Wallabies need to be really cognizant of is that you can't take any team lightly, a team in transition a weaker side you need to show your maturity when you're playing, when you're scoring points and getting out ahead and and maintaining your resolve to keep scoring points, to keep defending well and not let up, no matter who the team is because you shouldn't let it happen against a weak team, you don't want to get surprised by uh, an equal or competitive team and it's the only way that's going to keep you in a game against a good team and yeah, that agree. same to be just aware of with the South Africans, that they haven't lost that aspect of their game because they are they are big physical fighting guys and they're probably not going to keep them out of the game. Uh, yeah, you're not going to be able to keep them out of the game all 80 minutes. They're going to be there. They're going to be pushing and chasing.
1: Mm-hmm. Last game of the Southern versus Northern Hemisphere teams and Argentina taking on Wales. Um, and Argentina, a team that was made up, I think, 13 or even 14, Haguar is. Um, in the starting lineup, so uh, a lot of consistency there. But they couldn't bring in that Sex Panthers sort of um, feel to the Pumas. They went down um, twenty-three to ten. Wales coming out victors.
2: They ruined the streak. Southern yeah. Hemisphere dominant. Yeah, they they dropped it.
0: Unexpected as well, because Wales are a bit of a dark horse. They're a team as well that's in transition, and they've lost quite a lot of their senior players, and they're they're trying to blood some new guys. Um, before next year so they came second in the six nations kind of surprised a few people and then also they were on a you know they've won their last two games as well and beating Argentina in Argentina that's a pretty tough ask for a northern hemisphere team that you know these guys wouldn't have played against many of the Haguaras players in the last you know year or two so you know i limited preparation maybe for the Haguaras played into it I think maybe they might have been a bit complacent after winning like six games in a row in Super Rugby. Maybe they got a little bit ahead of themselves with this one. Um, but I don't think they'll make the same mistake next week. I think they'll they'll really improve and, and knuckle down. Let's run through a few of the other
1: games of the round. Um, chime in if you have anything to say. But Japan took down Italy 34-17. to um, Nice win from the Cherry Blossoms there. Um, and the USA took down Russia, sixty-two to thirteen. Then Canada falling short um, to Scotland at home, forty-eight to ten.
2: A you know, big win for Scotland traveling. That's um, yeah, they're, they're still another team to, to keep an eye on and be interesting to see when they come up and get some tougher opposition.
0: Yeah, they haven't really got a, you know a tough set of you know fixtures for this these games, but. I think they'll pick up, they're playing Canada this week and they'll probably pick up a pretty easy win there as well. The one I was interested in was, you know, Italy and Japan. I thought Jamie Joseph is, you know, really trans- transforming this team. Yeah, so you got these, you got these guys really that um, Japan wouldn't have really featured in, in a lot of our thinking in previous years. But having that team in Super Rugby, I really think that makes us aware of some of the talent they've got domestically, which then transfers into those international games. Um, And to beat a team like Italy, like I know Italy hasn't been very good for the last two or three years, but Japan is slowly building towards what's going to be a really exciting World Cup. So it's really excited to see them do well. All right, let's run through a few of the games from this
1: weekend. You guys can tell me who you think takes these. So we'll start off uh, USA versus
2: Scotland. Scotland.
0: Yeah, I'll take Scotland in a pretty pretty easy one for them. Yeah, agreed, Scotland. Uh,
1: Fiji's taking on Georgia.
2: Home side, Fiji.
0: Yeah, Georgia much improved as well, and I think they're within the top 12 in the world now. But Fiji, probably the best team in the Pacific Island nations, and um, yeah, I think at home they're, they're going to be too strong.
1: Bold call, but I'm going to take Georgia there because... Uh... Just for the upset value, I think Georgia are an upcoming team in the world rugby spectrum. Um, Japan have a second Yashvili? game. Yashvili? Japan, Yashvili. Japan have a second game versus Italy.
2: I'm going to Japan again. I, I back them, I think, the, from what we've seen, there's a bit of a spark in the Sunwolves. We know there's a lot of players out of that team in the Cherry Blossoms. Um, and Italy, just I, I haven't seen anything interesting out of Italy since. Uh, just only, only in that one game they they played the offside rule pretty interestingly against england uh that was about the most interesting thing i've seen from them in a few years and they've they've (laughs) killed that whole style of playoff now so yeah i don't see anything from italy yet
0: yeah i'm I'm touting i think big things to come from japan and another strong win win here i think yeah same
1: sun wolves or cherry blossoms i think they're, they're both picking up speed and picking up pace Um, New Zealand have their second test uh, versus France out of Westpac Stadium this weekend.
2: New Zealand, another solid win.
1: Yeah, I think Toby highlighted it before, probably a good 20-point sort of margin wouldn't go astray here. Um, Down in
0: Melbourne, Wallabies versus Ireland in the second test. What do we expect here? Give me the Wallabies, mate. I think they're going to... I think Leo mentioned it before, this is going to be a tougher game. Ireland are going to throw everything at them. I think they're going to play their best team. And I, I think the Wallabies can do it. They, if they come out with the same mentality and they execute like they did, maybe rein in the box kicks and, you know, just more effective kicking in general. But I think if they can take this second game, there's going to be some momentum building around Australian rugby, and then it's going to really help, say, even like the Waratahs and the Rebels moving into the final. So really hope they can do it. But, you know, it's going to be a fascinating game.
2: It's basically a sudden death scenario for Ireland now, so they have to win this game, or at least, oh no, they really have to win it, don't they, to to have a chance at actually taking this series. So, they um, they're, they're going to come out with everything they've got, and the Wallabies just need to be really solid at the start and and wear that down. If it if it uh, the ball seems to be in, in the hands of the Irish early, uh, I think I think they can do it absolutely. I'm, I'm backing the Wallabies here. I'm just very conscious that. Ireland are going to be doing everything they can and, and the Wallabies, I'm sure they'll be talking about it and I hope they can uh, can maintain their mental focus on on the game and, and on, on their job and their role in the team as that happens in the first 15 to 20 of this game.
1: Yeah, definitely. A lot, uh, another game of strong defence, I think. Put, put a few of their playmakers on their arse early and then i think you'll see the waratahs hopefully hold on to secure the victory here which would be lovely to see um i think you
2: said waratahs Waratahs, you said waratahs
1: waratahs wallabies (laughs) same same team right
2: at least say rebels man it's in melbourne your team
1: wallabies to win the second test in melbourne out of amy park um south africa second test versus england out of bluffington and toyota stadium uh what to expect boys are england going to be able to bounce back after that three-point loss
0: i think they will i think england can bounce back i think it's going to be another close game but i think eddie might have some tricks up his sleeve he's probably going to tweak this lineup a little bit i think england can get it done and turn their kind of turn their sorrows around because they're they're really in a slot, deep slide at the moment, and things could go very wrong for Eddie Jones if they drop another game.
2: I don't know what, what which way to go with this one. I, in my in my heart, I don't want England to win. I just I just don't like them winning against anyone. It's about about <laughs> the worst game I could possibly watch is England versus France, where I'd probably just turn it off because I don't want either of them to win. But um, so I kind of feel like I want I want our Super Rugby brothers to to get up again. Uh, I don't know. It's but based on the start of last game, if England can come out and and put the same pressure, whether they'll be able to get that many points this week, if the South Africans will have gelled a bit more and and be less uh, sort of surprised by the intensity they're bringing. But again, they'll be super fired up because they can't afford to go six, six in a row. Is you know that's getting into real sort of probably record loss streak territory for them. I don't know what their worst streak is ever, but in, in this day and age, six six games in a row is getting to be a, a coach killer and a career killer for some people. So um, it's going to be a big game. I, I, I'm going to tip on what I want more than what I think. Well, I don't know what I think, so I'm just going to tip South Africa. I don't want England to win.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's probably the... Probably the second most um, interesting game of the round off the Wallabies, really. Um, but I'll be very keen to see what happens, whether we do see many changes in that England outfit. Um, like we said, we we saw what they can do uh, if they come out strong and catch sort of South Africa by surprise. Maybe if they are adjusted a bit more to the altitude, I think England might be able to steal one in a close one. But,
2: but You look, don't want them to, right?
1: Well, no, but I also don't like South Africa that much, so...
0: Yeah, I'm I'm with Archie. I think you said France versus England is the worst thing you can be watching because you just don't want anyone to win. But I I was watching this one on the weekend, and I'm a bit like, I don't really care, but I also really hate England. I probably hate England more, to be honest. But when South Africa wins as well, I'm just kind of like, no, that just doesn't sit well with me either. So, you know what? Let's see what happens, boys. We'll have a lot to talk about next week, I think. Yeah, either way. No, I just remember that
1: 2007 World Cup final and it was South Africa versus England. I was like, this is bullshit. I don't want
0: to see this. Both both terrible jerseys with those tight, like, T-shirt jerseys. It was just <laughs> atrocious.
2: I remember 2003 where England beat us, and that's never going to sit well, so oh, no. I never yeah. want them to win.
1: That's fair. That's fair. Um, and, and that uh, was Eddie Jones. Uh, Johnny. That's the, just goddamn Johnny. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And the second test for Argentina versus Wales. Um, Will the Argentinians sort of be able to bounce back as well? Um, Hopefully. I think they probably can. I think that was probably a bit of a wake-up call. They've suddenly realised that international rugby is still quite different to super rugby. There's a different intensity in those games. And I think they will probably step up at home again.
0: Yeah, they won't underate Wales at all. Um, They've seen what Wales can do now, and I don't think... The Pumas played particularly well. Scoring 10 points is quite unlike them as well. We know that these this team has some points in them from Super Rugby level. Um, I'm going to take Argentina pretty confidently. What do you think, Leo?
2: Yeah, look, I, I want Argentina to find find their feet in test level and, and to get a win. I don't know a lot about the Wales team, if I'm honest. Um, e- even if I saw the lineups, it probably wouldn't give me a great indication because I've been out of touch with that side for a little while now. But, yeah, I, I think the Argentines at home, with the, the form they've shown this year, maybe they just needed a taste week one and hopefully they can address a few things and deficiencies and, and get back on top in week two at home.
1: Yeah, Southern Hemisphere represent. Woo! You. Yeah. Either way, it's going to be a really good weekend of rugby again. Lots of stuff to sink your teeth into. Definitely going to be watching several hours myself. Uh, just Just love international rugby. It's always great to see. The other thing that's been going on uh, this last week or so is the under-20s championships um, over in France, I believe. Um, And the Australian under-20s, they've been doing reasonably well. Uh, A couple of, sort of, one loss in their pool sort of put them back a little bit, um, sort of faltering a little bit, but a couple of strong sort of showings, and they're coming up against Argentina in the fifth place um, playoff, um, while in the finals, the grand finals, you have England versus France. Uh, France, who got a victory over New Zealand, incidentally, in the semis. Um, so Leo's favourite sort of matchup in the finals there. But Leo, I think you've been... I hope
2: it's not a view of the future.
1: <laughs> I don't think so, I don't think so. But I know, Leo, you've seen a little bit of these games. Have you seen anything stand out?
2: Yeah, look, the, the main player I've noticed in these games is Hamish Stewart, who we know well from Super Rugby level. And we've seen him playing at fly half and at fullback, and he looks really good. He uh, maybe it's against the younger players. He just looks quick, uh, really dynamic. He's setting up a lot of plays. Uh, he's, he's either generating the line breaks himself, which is probably someone else, you know, whoever's throwing the ball to him. I'm not as familiar with as doing their job well as well. But he's he's breaking the line. He's offloading. He's kicking through, and he's he's doing a lot of things right. Um, and I, I don't know if well it's probably his last year in the under 20s anyway but uh, I don't think he's going to be uh, hanging around in that in that level for too much longer, I think the Wallabies will have him uh, straight in their, into their group in the in the November uh, test series, the spring tour there's no way on that sort of form he's going to be able to sit out, we, we want a guy like that coming through as the next generation playmaker um, even if it's only for the exposure and he's not getting a lot of game time, so Pammy Stewart, very, very impressive, and um, um The also playing really well. Um, less less uh, highlights in from the in the reel from him, but another guy who's been dragged up into Super Rugby out of out of schoolboy rugby. Really, he's only eighteen, and he's into this group, and he's also uh, impressing at that level.
1: Yeah, and he has a couple more years um in that under twenty sort of outfit, but. I think you might see him um, miss some time there because the Super Rugby teams will be all over him and keeping him up there. Definitely the Reds, I think, um, like what they see out of him. The other guy um, that's had a bit of time in the Rebels was uh, Tupu, Semisi Tupu, um, who's been playing outside centre for the under-20s and been doing quite well in there as well. So a lot of promise from them. Obviously not quite the results they'd, they'd want, um, only playing off for that fifth place, but still a lot of good showing sort of for the future. Final
2: thoughts for the weekend, boys. Let's go, Welbys. Two in a row. Keep the Irish out. If you can uh, win these home this home series against the second best team in the world, you'd be going into that rugby championship with a with a whole lot of confidence. And maybe maybe this year is the year we finally get the bladderslow back.
0: Ooh, he's you never know, mate. That's that's I like that. I like that call because if we're if we play like we did in the first game against the All Blacks, like in the against the All Blacks in the Bledisloe, we really can frustrate them, I think. We just showed such good resolve. Um, I don't know. It just kind of is reminiscent of how the Reds were playing in certain games, how they just kept fronting up, kept fronting up. Um, and that's why I think we wanted so many of those Reds guys in the forward pack. Guys like Tupo, Rodar, Caleb Timu. And then you put them in combination with guys like Pocock and Hooper. Um, and Coleman think people like that it's just I think that's where we're setting the platform well our forwards aren't being intimidated um, mm-hmm. they're bringing really really strong carries as well as you know big hits in defense which is just probably putting the, the Irish off a little bit um, and we've seen England do that in the past really strong physicality and getting on top of sides that way so hopefully they can do it again we'll be keenly watching but it's it's a massive game and I really hope Checking can get them up and fight up as much as they were in the first one. Yeah, and
1: you talk about number two in the world. We actually um, jumped over England to secure that number three placing after last weekend. And we're only sort of a point and a half, I think, a little bit more behind Ireland. So you see a couple more victories and we'll take that number two spot, uh, which we a little while since we've managed to take that um, over. So that's really good to see. But yeah, big weekend. That's all from us, guys. As always, jump on our Facebook page, like us, um, have a follow of our Instagram. We'll get some stories up and going as soon as those starting lineups come out, see if there are any changes coming out. Uh, But that's all at Running Rugby Podcast. Or check out Twitter at Running Rugby Pod. Um, Other than that, guys, subscribe to us um, on Apple Podcasts or on Stitcher. As always, we'll be watching this weekend, and we'll be back next week to review all these games. I can't wait. Uh, But until then, guys, keep on running.
2: Run.